The reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and is found on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Do you keep that open in front of you? And uh, we're going to have a little look at it together. So today is both part of our uh, term looking at the work of God's empowering presence, his Holy Spirit. And of course, today is also the day uh, when the church around the world uh, celebrates the day of Pentecost, what we read of in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came. It's a big day. I wonder when the last big day that you were anticipating or look forward to was. Sometimes those big days are days that we slightly fear. I don't know whether you can remember the last time you were waiting for exam results. Um, in our household, the countdown has already begun, I think, to mid-August and A-level results. Um, Sometimes it might be waiting for news of a job that you've applied for. Uh, it could be waiting for news of some test results from a hospital. Sometimes those things are quite heavy days to wait for. Of course, there are many other days in our lives that we anticipate and look forward to because they're good days, because they're big days. Um, I don't presume I will ever forget the eight months um, that I had, that we had, uh, waiting for our wedding day. Uh, we got engaged sometime around um, April and we got married on January the 1st the following year, and those eight months felt like, on one level, they lasted about eight years. Um, there was so much to get ready, there was so much to anticipate, there was so much to look forward to. I, it was almost agony, all those days of waiting. And then suddenly, on the day, there were all sorts of surprises that we hadn't sort of planned for and that we sort of hadn't anticipated, mostly really nice surprises, good surprises. It was a great day, and then it was, it was over. I remember sitting in the car as we headed away from the reception and both of us just going, oh, can we do that all again? You wait for something, you anticipate for something, then there are some big surprises on the day itself and then it is over like that. The day of Pentecost was well waited for. 
well anticipated. But it was full of surprises. The big difference, though, for us and for those first disciples is that when the day of Pentecost was over, it was only just beginning. Well, that anticipation of Pentecost actually wasn't just about the disciples and wasn't particularly rooted in the giving of the Holy Spirit for most of the people who were there. As far as we can tell, on a day like that in Jerusalem, there might have been upwards of a million people packed into uh, that relatively compact city. People from all over the known world, uh, both uh, people who'd been brought up Jews, people who'd converted to Judaism, people who were gathered in and around the temple courts and the place of Jerusalem to celebrate this first big festival since Passover, some 50 days um, after the death of Jesus and his resurrection, people gathered from the four winds to celebrate what was originally, we think, a harvest festival, a festival of celebrating God's good gifts, the first fruits of the harvest, and then became something um, certainly around this time focused on the giving of the law. The giving not, if you like, of the fruits of the fields, but the giving of the fruits of God's wisdom and his grace towards his people. When Moses went up on the Mount Sinai and came down with God's word and his grace for all. People would have been looking forward to this festival for weeks, for months, maybe even for years if it was their one chance to visit Jerusalem. Huge anticipation, huge celebration. But of course it turns out that this big day was more than simply just another Pentecost, for which there would simply be another Pentecost the year after, another the year after that. That this day was a big day because it was going to be the day that Jesus himself had pointed ahead to. The beginning of uh, Luke's second volume, this book of Acts, we find that Jesus is saying to them in verse 4 of chapter 1, do not leave Jerusalem, he says to his friends, but wait for the big day. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we find that this big day actually was anticipated even longer than that. Now, the gift of God's Holy Spirit, God's work in his creation by his Spirit, goes back way beyond the beginning of the New Testament. goes back right back to the very first pages of our Bible. And we find the Holy Spirit spoken of as God's agent in creation, his power at work hovering over the chaos of the deep. And then we find the Spirit landing, as it were, on different individuals in the, in the Old Testament, both with God's power and also with his word. So you find that the Holy Spirit comes on his great kings to bring them power, both in battle, but also to give them wisdom and grace. We find the Holy Spirit is given to his prophets to speak on God's behalf. We find that the Holy Spirit is given to certain individuals to do certain tasks, even in one case to be a great master craftsman in the services of God. God's Spirit throughout the Old Testament is very present but in some ways it's very limited. We find that God's Spirit is given to certain people for a certain time, for a certain purpose. You find the Spirit comes on his kings, his prophets, key leaders, for a certain time, for a key purpose, but also can be withdrawn. And we find in some ways that the Spirit in the Old Testament is spoken of in, well, in, in sort of fairly impersonal terms. God's power at work, God's word given. 
But, and this is where this big day of Pentecost comes in, but you start to get rumors and murmurs and then explicit promises of a big day, the last days, when God would do something new, when God would do something life-changing, world-changing, universe-transforming, when God's Holy Spirit would come not just on some people, but on all people. When God's Spirit would come not just for a short time, but for all time. When God's Spirit would come not just for certain tasks, but to transform the world. As we read Ezekiel, as we read Jeremiah, as we read Joel, that we find um, Peter quoting from just after the passage Lizzie was reading. We find this promise. In fact, you'll see it just a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, Joel wrote, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And actually, if we'd been concentrating, if we'd been noticing, and if we'd been reading Luke, we should have got an knowledge fairly far ahead that this is coming. Go right back to the beginning of Luke's book, Luke chapter 1, those first few chapters of Luke. What we find is that the Holy Spirit is everywhere at work. And in particular, we find that the Holy Spirit is, is intensely focused on filling the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who uh, announces his coming. He's the one who fills Jesus from on high at his baptism. He's the one who propels Jesus out into the desert and then out into ministry and mission as we've heard in some of the previous sermons and talks in our series. We have this sense of anticipation. Here is somebody who isn't simply another king or another prophet or another priest. Here is somebody who uniquely and intensely God's Spirit is resting upon and who now is beginning to promise to his followers, wait. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Just wait because that big day is coming. The day when God will fill you with power from on high. When God will come by his spirit. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus had said, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A really big day. I want to ask, what was it really like to be there? I want to ask, what was it like to be one of those disciples, one of those followers of Jesus, gathered together in that room on the big day of Pentecost? What would it have been like to experience it? What did it mean for them? And what does it mean for us? Well, the first thing I think we just have to know and to notice is just how much this big day would have fulfilled a great longing in their hearts. Now, there are some big days you don't see coming, aren't there? You know, suddenly people are celebrating a birthday and you weren't expecting it, or out of the blue you get a windfall financially, or out of the blue you get some great news at work. Those are great, big days, but they're not days that you've longed for. They're not days you've anticipated. They're not days you've held your breath for. This day for Jesus' followers was a day they'd been holding their breath for. They were able to look back in the Old Testament and hear the words of Ezekiel and Joel and Jeremiah. They knew one day God was going to do something magnificent, life-changing, world-transforming. 
And then, of course, they'd had Jesus' words ringing in their ears. Wait in Jerusalem. And then they were longing for God to act. They were longing for God to fulfill his promises, to give his promised empowering presence. It's a really simple point, but it's really hit me between the eyes this week because I'm not sure I spend a lot of my time longing for that. So the Bible makes it very clear that we are to long for more of what God loves to give us. Many times in the Bible, we are encouraged to ask for more. Sort of Oliver Twist turned on its head. We're actually told to long for more of what God wants to give because what God loves to give is good and we need him. We need God's spirit at work in us. We need to be filled with him. But I'm not sure I spend all day every day longing for that. I'm at times quite surprised when God shows up. There are moments when I pray and God answers my prayers and it's like, oh, okay, that's nice. There are times in worship when I'm suddenly aware of the fact that we're not simply with one another. We're in the presence of God. And I confess there are times when that's a real surprise where I haven't been longing for it. I haven't been expecting it. There are plenty of times when I pile into a day and I'm working my way through my to-do list. I'm running my way through my diary and God just digs me in the ribs or trips me up and I'm suddenly aware of him and I realize I've been running through life not longing for him but hoping he might help me. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between longing because longing has its sort of its roots in and its foundation in a promise. You're longing for something to come who you've been waiting for. We're meant to long, not simply hope. We're meant to long, not simply wonder or wish or be surprised. We're meant to long for more of God's Holy Spirit. We're meant, it's the one thing in life we're meant to be greedy for. God's empowering presence. Why? Because this is what we were made for. We weren't created to live solo lives. We weren't created to live lives of simple desperation to get through, working harder and harder, trying to be the best that I can be. We're meant to long for him. The problem is with longing is you fear the risk of being disappointed, don't you? Isn't that the reason that we don't long for more? We hate being disappointed. We hate being let down. We hate not having that for which we long. And maybe it's easier just to stop longing and just hope that maybe we'll be surprised one day. The disciples knew better. They were gathered together. They trusted the promise of Jesus, wait and I will give. Well, he says to you, wait long, I will give. But the second experience they had alongside longing was that as God fulfilled his promise, they received a power and a presence that was from outside of themselves. When the day of Pentecost came, chapter 2, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like... Now, Luke is very clear here. He's trying to use picture language, if you like, and sound language, poetry language, if you like, to describe the indescribable. Sound like the blowing of a violent wind. 
came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Here is something, here is a gift that is given that is both from beyond them, came from heaven, and is greater than them. It filled the whole house and divided between them. Beyond them and greater than them. Now that is pretty much the most countercultural, challenging fact about God's Spirit that you could possibly imagine. Our culture today is full of people saying to us, if you want to be the best that you can be, if you want to live a fulfilled life, it's all within you. Isn't that what we hear all the time? Just look inside yourself. Search for the hero inside yourself. Sorry, I'm showing my age here. Um, You're all humming it now, aren't you? Um, Search for the hero inside yourself. Be the best that you can be. It's a great motivational talk, isn't it? You have the capacity in you to be everything that you want to be. I know what we mean by that, but it's simply a lie, actually, isn't it? Well, it's a lie for me. I don't have the capacity in me to be all that I aspire to be. I think I've proved that after 49 and something years of trying really hard. I don't have the capacity to pull myself up by my own bootlaces. I mess up time and again. I cannot be the perfect Richard. I cannot do all that I aspire to do. I cannot be all I aspire to be. I really need help. Somebody wrote an article in one of the national newspapers uh, in America not that many years ago, uh, a very well-known therapist who was writing about their experience that if you look at the figures, there were fewer and fewer people going to therapy. And that those who did had changed what they were asking for. And this person said that what they had experienced or what their colleagues experienced is that people were less and less asking for help with stuff going on inside them as if they were coming and saying, you know, I, oh, I'm this broken person or I can't deal with this or I've got too much anger or I can't forgive. And what they were now coming and saying was, I've got these huge problems and it's them. We've externalized the problem and we've internalized the solution. We've said the problem with this world is all these other people who won't let me be me and we've internalized the solution. I'm going to find that hero inside myself. And Pentecost is the most utterly countercultural day you can possibly imagine. Because what it says is the problem is inside you and the solution is outside you. It flips it completely on its head. And actually, it makes far more sense. It makes sense of our experience of life. I actually, when I stop and think, I do realize that the problem starts in me. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of annoying people around, and there's plenty of people that, that, that aren't the people I would like them to be. But the fact is, really and truly, if I look myself in the mirror, I have to start with my heart. There is a fault line that like, runs through me that means that I am never, even in my very best moments when nobody else is looking, I'm still not the man that I know that I could be, let alone the perfect person that God intended me to be. I know that I've got issues that nobody knows about, let alone the stuff that everybody can see. There are huge things in me that I long, there's that word again, long to be mended and put right. I need help. Yeah, I probably need some therapy. That's been really helpful to me over the years. But actually, I need help from God. I need the help that God's Holy Spirit brings to me. They experienced something that was like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven that filled the whole house. Don't you long help 
from heaven that is greater than you. Good. Long some more. Ask God for more of himself by his spirit. But there is one more thing. There's so much more. I said to a couple of people before the service, there's at least six or eight sermons buzzing around inside my head and we haven't got time for probably even fully one of them. But there is at least one more thing, I think, here. You see, the danger if we just finish there is I've made the Holy Spirit sound like a therapist or sound like just a help meet, somebody who comes just to make us feel a bit better. But the wonderful thing about Pentecost is when this God's empowering presence falls upon the, the disciples... They don't simply sit there and have a lovely worship session and then go home. They don't simply sit there going, do you know, I feel so much better. I feel I can forgive my neighbor now. I feel I can be the parent I always wanted to be. I can be the friend I always wanted to be. What they actually do is go out and tell the world the good news of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus the one who makes Jesus real to us, the one who brings God's empowering presence into our lives. And as he brings God's empowering presence to us, he propels us outwards because this is a message and good news for the world to hear. Verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And what we find is that other, as other people gather... We don't know whether somehow they gathered around this room or I, I think far more likely that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit sort of propelled the disciples out and maybe they ended up in the temple courts, one of the few places in Jerusalem that many people could imagine gathering. We find that 3,000 people get converted that day. It's far too many to fit into one room. But wherever they were, as they begin to speak, as the Holy Spirit fills them, they begin to speak of the good news of Jesus. They cannot help themselves. And people hear what they're saying in their own tongue because this good news is for everyone. Not just for a few individual leaders down through history, nor even what we find as we read the rest of the book of Acts, just for God's people or people who already identify as God's people spread throughout the ancient world. What we find is that this good news is for everyone. Now, we weren't there. We don't know whether on this occasion God by his spirit gave each disciple the miraculous gift of a, of a different language, or whether they were speaking in that sort of prayer language of tongues that is still around today, and each person who heard them was given the gift of interpretation. And I don't really care, because what we actually find is, most importantly, each person heard the good news in their language, because that good news is for everyone. You see, yes, we're to long for more of God, and we're to expect God's empowering spirit from outside ourselves and bigger than ourselves to come and help us. But as he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he isn't just interested in mending us. He's not just interested in giving us the, experiential, uh, ex the experience of being God's children. He propels us out to live and work in public to his praise and glory. And he needs all of us to do that. Because there's people that I will be able to speak to with my life that you will never meet. There will be people that you meet that I never do. There will be people that you, your life speaks to that mine doesn't. 
Your particular story, your particular testimony, your particular passions and skills and gifts will speak to people that would never listen to me in a million years. You, as part of God's people, as a recipient of God's spirit, have a unique tongue, if you like, to speak. I don't care who you are. That's true of you. Partly, sometimes that is literally the language that we speak, but most often it's down to that unique shape of our life, the unique set of people that we'll meet, the unique story of our testimony, how we came to faith, you will speak to people that no one else does. So who's missing out? Dare I ask? Who's missing out because I'm not telling them? Who's missing out because my life doesn't speak of Jesus? Who's missing out because I haven't longed for more of his spirit in me? Who's missing out on what I think it's the greatest good news that that big day of Pentecost wasn't the end of something, but the beginning of something. It wasn't just a big day that was over in a flash and you thought, oh, I wish we could do it all again. Actually, that big day was the beginning of God pouring out his spirit on ordinary people like you and like me. So will we long for more? Even today, even in this service, will you long for God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit? It's what you were made for. It's not, nothing scary, nothing weird. Simply the one who made you coming and filling you with his presence. Will you be willing to receive the help you need from beyond yourself? And will you, with joy, speak and live out the good news of Jesus to the people that only you can speak to, that need to hear it from your life and from your lips? Or else perhaps they never will. We're going to pray. And then we've got a few minutes of reflection and of uh, song worship as we head towards communion. And as we do so, let's, with longing and expectation, ask God to fill us afresh with himself. Let's be still. Jesus, thank you for your promise. Thank you that you promised the gift of yourself. The spirit of Jesus, God's empowering presence, the one called alongside us. We ask you to give us hearts that long for more. We ask you to give us hearts that are open to receive from beyond ourselves that help which we need. And we dare to ask that you will help us both to speak and to live out in the power of the Spirit that good news of Jesus who lived and died, rose again and ascended for us. Come, Holy Spirit, even now. Fill the hearts of your people. Sometimes we experience something physically, emotionally, as God's Spirit fills us afresh, just like those disciples did.
might be that your heart beats a little faster. It might be that you have a sense of peace. Maybe a welling up of emotion. Trust that that's God at work. Sometimes in the stillness we don't experience anything very much. The promise the Bible makes is that when we ask, he gives. loves to fill us with his spirit in the quietness. He loves to fill us with his spirit in the context of worship and of communion. He loves to fill us with his spirit in the, uh, uh, in the noise and chaos of all ages altogether. It doesn't matter. So as in a few minutes the children come and rejoin us. Let's continue in worship. Let's prepare ourselves to receive in bread and wine. And most of all to long for more of God.